We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Issue 585 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I am one of your other hosts, Beanarita. And I am your other other host, Cable Hashitani. How are we all doing this week? Meh. <laughs> ding, ding. Meh. We Bye. all feel the same way. Booyah, shababa. I mean, I feel fine. I'll, I'll give you that. I feel fine. Right. Yes. I I am I am physically well uh and just mentally a little rough today. <clears throat> but at least I'm hanging out with the two of you, so that Hey. Helps. That's good times. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm just uh I, I either I need to only sleep a few hours a night and let my body somehow get used to that, or I need to get real sleep again because I'm, I'm doing like this it'll be like seven and a half hours two hours seven and a half hours three hours and that's that is just not an easy thing to maintain it's just not it's not good um are we sure that you're not just like phasing into your old man sleep habits you know how uh, you know, like older people really just like sleep less it's not that they necessarily want to it just happens um I don't think so. <laughs> but they also, when they sleep less, have energy still. Will they also nap in the middle of the day? Yeah, that too. And I have physically do not have the ability to nap. Mm, I can I, pass. Not, not yet. You don't. No, yeah. I, it would have happened by now. That's, well, be- up before now, true. you weren't phasing into your old man's sleep habits, so. It's a thank process. You. It'll thank come. You. Thank you for I, thank you for continuing to say that during my birthday month. So. <laughs> oh Because yeah. I'm, I'm not feeling down enough as it is. Oh come on! You're you know still, age. Is, you know age is just a number. I know. And you're still younger than me. That's well. Well, thanks everyone. <laughs> we'll always have that younger That's than right. Cable. Uh, something tells true. me that. The, that you YouTube chat is down again. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, have I can see it. Right. There's a little monkey who says something went wrong. I don't even get that. I don't either. That's a I, first for me. Oh, did you get the I monkey? I just saw Aaron. Oh, yeah, you I, get the monkey. Okay, it says now. It says it's there now. I refresh the page, but yay. I don't see anyone in the chat, which That's means fine. we've either become suddenly unpopular, or there's something wrong with the chat. Right. Could be both. It could be both. You never know. You really never know. I know. This is uh, podcast <laughs> audience. You're you're a fickle people. What are we doing Bex tonight? Here. <laughs> um. Uh, well, we almost all kind of forgot that it was Women in Horror Month, which is something we've been doing for the past few years. Yeah. I don't know that we forgot necessarily. We just got excited about a lot of other things, too. That's true. We we or, booked a lot of guests for this month, except yeah. for this week. Right. So we're going we're gonna to dive into a movie that got really panned when it first came out, myself included, because I was on the same wagon as every other shitty critic and that's uh jennifer's body 1990 mm-hmm. or 2009 i believe 2009 feels like 1990 <laughs> it does. yeah that's um, it it feels like it should have come out in 1997 and given the rate of uh turnaround from when like uh diablo cody probably turned in that screenplay to when they finally greenlit it and filmed it was probably 10 years. Oh. Maybe. I'm, I don't know. When did Juno come out? Um, 2007. 2007, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, you know what? That's, that seems to actually very plausible. Like, she, you know, they, they like she... sold the script, but people didn't really want it. Or maybe she couldn't sell the script. But after Juno was successful, people were like, okay, yeah, let's let's get on this uh, Cody Diablo business. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And then looked at it and went, oh, who's who would this be a good vehicle for? Uh, Megan Fox is hot right now. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to interview her about this movie. Diablo Cody or Megan Fox? Megan Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing, like, just, we can go into it more when we review like it. Like, how she feels about it now? How she felt about it, filming it and what she like in relation to what she was being offered in her career versus what she was allowed to do in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, then should we just jump in? Well, we can also say that we're also going to dive into episode five of WandaVision. That's the other thing. Oh, naturally. Yes, we are. But as always, um, you know, that comes with spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I did want to mention that Women in Horror Month is no longer going to be a thing. You mean like the official org of it? The official organization is no longer Women in Horror Month. It's Women in Horror. Period. Okay, okay that's cool. They're trying to figure out what the M should be. And they're like one of the options they were thinking about is women in, the Women in Horror Movement. So they're not limiting it to a month anymore. I can get, I can get behind that. So... You know, we, women we, and women and horrors. That's what two and a half hours sleep look like. Yes, yes, it does. That's uh, <clears throat> pretty good there. Rawr. <laughs> Do you um, want to jump into Jennifer's body? Phrasing. Yeah. It's it. <laughs> Uh, Denise, do you have a synopsis that you want to give us? I 
don't have one prepared, but I can give you one real quick. So Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried star in 2009, Jennifer's Body, a movie about two best friends. And one of them gets first with demonic powers and starts killing boys to survive. Um, Amanda Seyfried is the sort of dorky, I guess, uh, BFF who uncovers how, how and why this happened and tries to rectify the problem. All the boys in the movie probably die. <laughs> yep, that's, yep. That's about right. That's, that's a good one. Starring J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> With what has to be the most ridiculous prosthetic, ridiculous hairpiece, yeah. and ridiculous accent. Like, yeah. he, there were so many layers to how silly his character was. Yes, but he does and, still make everything better. Yes, yes, he does. Because he's J.K. Simmons. Right. But good Lord, that was silly. I like how, <laughs> like, the reveal of that character is a, a super brief but, like, gradual process like first you see his ridiculous hair and glasses okay mm-hmm. fine he's just a goofy teacher or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and then you start to notice the burn marks on his skin or uh, under his collar mm-hmm. like oh what happened there and then a, a, like there's a little bit of a gap and then boom you get the hook <laughs> <clears throat> yeah well what's kind of funny about his and then we'll dive into the movie proper what's kind of funny about his character how he's presented he's pretty much presented as almost every like urban legend horror story you've told the person mm-hmm. who's burned under the bandages, the crazy. And then the, you know, then there was the guy with the hook, like he's all of them in one character, mm-hmm. which had to be intentional. Cause Diablo Cody knows her, knows her kind of shit like that. I think uh, one of the other reasons we're, we're, doing this is not only is it a di- written by a woman, Diablo Cody, it's also directed by a woman, uh, Karen Kusama, who mm-hmm. we have reviewed um, her other movie, The Invitation, um, which Denise and I were all right with, and Aaron hates. Um, Aaron, you are not alone. Oh, I know. No, like, Merrick is like, oh, I hated that movie. <laughs> okay, I good. I remember. I didn't, want to be- I didn't want to find out that I was... <laughs> Like, it was just a bunch of dudes who hated that movie. I was like, oh, the, no. The, no. The thing that's weird is, like, the reason you hate the movie is, in my mind, what makes it good. Because it's all these winky L.A. people, you know, and they get what's coming. Yeah, yeah, but I, but the, but I have to spend 90 minutes hearing about their problems, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, sure. It's like if Seinfeld um, wasn't funny. <laughs> just sometimes it's not not funny observations well, I mean, yeah uh i learned uh, while watching this movie and mm-hmm. taking notes that uh cody diablo is not well liked she's well i should say she's very divisive some people think she's a genius and other people think she's a horrible human with no talent so yeah. in other words she's a woman in hollywood who's <laughs> had a modicum of success and therefore, nothing can be believed until you actually work with her. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I also learned that she's supposed to be working on the uh, live-action Powerpuff Girls. She is situation. Yeah. Uh, I am looking forward to that. 
Not necessarily because of uh, Diablo Cody, but because that just sounds amazing. Right. It's the the uh, the elevator pitch for the Powerpuff Girls is that they are disaffected 20-somethings who are now angry about the fact that they wasted their entire childhood being superheroes. Right, right. <clears throat> um, and I like I that be- idea. Yeah, I believe that Diablo, Diablo Cody is having just watched Jennifer's body. It's like, oh no, she's got the she has the chops for writing that dialogue. Yeah, because I, I I think that uh, one of the strengths of this movie is definitely that she writes really awkward, the awkwardness of everyday teen life in just so perfectly. Like this, this felt awkward. Like all the teenage stuff felt very real and very awkward. Uh, much the same way that I feel that the teenage stuff in Ginger Snaps feels real and awkward and awful. I love that movie. Yeah, some some of the dialogue is are like the uh, the the aim to be clever and I don't know edgy mm-hmm. with the terminology or the the words that they use to insult one another. Very try hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there was oh man. <clears throat> I wish I, I should have written down some examples because there were some real gems. Hopefully some more of them come back to me. Right. A lot of them were delivered early on and they came out of uh the title character Jennifer. When she would just say mean things that weren't supposed to sound mean, but were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right off the bat. Um, so the movie is presented with Amanda Seyfried's character as the narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's, you know, doing a lot of voiceover in the beginning while you're sort of establishing the relationship and their environments. <laughs> and the first thing that really caught my attention was, um, that she mentions that people question or act weird about her friendship with Jennifer because, oh, by the way, Amanda Seyfried's character is known as Needy. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. remember her, her, you know, quote unquote real name. It's short for Anita. Yes. But like everyone, even her, even Mm -hmm. her boyfriend's mom refers to her as Needy. Mm -hmm. uh, It sounds like the whole town does. It does, I, or I, I think they might, which made like, it impossible for me to remember her real name. Like when they they comment on the, it's like, did anyone die in the fire? That you know, it's like, did anyone we know die in the fire? It's like, it's, it, it's a, it's a small town. We know everybody. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it was someone we knew. It's everyone we knew. We knew everyone that was there. Um, but cutting back to prior to the fire, um, mm-hmm. there is a there's a scene and the voiceover is uh, oh sandbox love never dies, and uh, it seems like they're wanting to play against the trope that you know like a lot of teen movies at least nowadays have this trope of two people who used to be best friends when they were really young, but then one of them grows up to be a really popular slash hot high schooler. And the other one is like just like a total goober with no friends and dorky interests. Um, 
And that tends to be sort of like the underlying problem with a lot of teen centric movies. Um, See also Mean Girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to think of other examples. <clears throat> um, I believe that trope is using Heathers. Uh... What's that one about the last day of school? Had that Based and confused. No, um, no, no, no. It was like a, it was like a late nineties. Can't hardly wait. Oh, oh yeah, that. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um. All right. Well, I will. I'm not gonna sit here and keep thinking about different movies that have that. But we all we all know that trope. And yeah, so yeah. it seems like this movie wants to sort of play against that because they are still best friends. But then again, their <clears throat> friendship seems to be a little bit nasty in one direction. Mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly that Jennifer is just kind of constantly insulting uh, Needy for her looks or her interests, her her uncool boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but at this point in the movie... Uh, she still does describe it, describe their friendship as, you know, this like deep and abiding thing. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of uh, their behavior on both sides a little troublesome. Like uh, the force with which uh, Jennifer like shoves needy when they, when they, she goes to pick her up. Right. To take her to the bar in the first place, like mm-hmm. shoves her in the, the door, and it's like that was that was a little more than you should have shoved her. Right, right. It starts out playful, and then it goes a little too far. Yeah, because Jennifer, at this point, is still asserting her own dominance, mm-hmm. and in the relationship, because that's also how she maintains her her position in their hierarchy. Um. There's also some hero worship that clearly is going on from Needy. Mm-hmm. But we do get to see that Needy looks at the world in a little different way. Uh, like when she stands up to the band, uh, the fact that she's the first person that notices the fire. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and I had some questions about that uh, that I wanted to bounce off of you. At the the way that people didn't react to the fire until it was killing them, and the the kind of euphoric dazed look that Jennifer had, all of that seemed less like shock and more like I thought it was possibly that the band itself had put a spell on the crowd. I definitely. I, I agree that it wasn't just like sort of this like commonplace uh, entrancing from from you know being really into a band or whatever. Mm-hmm. My guess is, um, and I guess I'm just going to go ahead and just kind of skip a skip ahead on details by saying this, but we know that the band is you know planning a satanic ritual. So I wouldn't hurt. <clears throat> uh, I am not a satanic ritual, I guess, but mm-hmm. yeah, a no, sacrifice. Satanic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's the thing. Yeah. Okay, we'll stick with that. Um, but so they have to get their sacrifice ready. They have to lure somebody in, not just to be attracted to them, but also to be willing to 
get in their creepy van and drive off. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely feel that their onstage performance was in preparation of that. And then also that the fire was probably caused by them. Yes. In order yeah. to make good their escape. Uh, I agree that they were res- also responsible for the fire. Like that was just going to be the thing that they would use to easily disappear someone. Like it would have taken them to, like if Jennifer had actually died and they had left her in the woods, it would have mm-hmm. taken days, if not more, because everyone was paying attention to the fire. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the band itself is this entire B plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they are, you know, what they are the element that gives Jennifer's body the, um, the plot of the mm-hmm. whole film, but everything about them is its own plot. They show up in some small town, they entrance a girl so that they can do the sacrifice. And then just the fact that they were at that venue when the fire happened, and then they're able to sort of get that, uh, that rumor spread and they just skyrocket rocket in popularity because they had been in that town. Like the, it's all super connected. Like it, they could, it could have been written differently such that, okay, they, they, they perform their sacrifice. They, they use Jennifer to, to get to their ends of attaining fame as a band. But from that point on, it could have just happened completely separate outside of the world that the movie uh, takes place in. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, it would make it harder for, um, needy to then sort of track them down and try to do whatever reversals or just come up and she wants to partake in. Right. But I thought, I thought that that was like pretty well done to just continually tie those two things together throughout the course of the movie. Huh. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Um, Sorry, I got distracted by diving a little bit deeper into the movie there a little bit. Um, it was interesting, I think. I think one of the reasons why this movie also didn't perform well initially mm-hmm. is that <clears throat> it was in no way marketed about what the kind of movie it actually was. I scanned a couple of different reviews, and one of the ones that stood out to me the most was someone who said that uh, the marketing people for this film took an LGBT horror film and then reframed it directly for the consumption of men. And Christian watched it with me, and you know, he had—I don't think he had seen it before—but um, there's a certain a couple of scenes in the movie where he's like, "That's what I remember. These these are the scenes that they used." when selling Jennifer's body to, to the public. And they mm-hmm. were all basically nudes of Megan Fox. Mm-hmm. Right. Who's not actually nude in the movie. Nope. There is one topless scene, but she's also about to devour a, a boy and is kind of monstrous anyway. So I don't know if that counts. I think it's implied. I, I don't remember there actually being nudity in the movie. which You totally is- do. It's because uh, I remember because it, it cuts off like right above the crotch. So you just see most of the torso and breasts. It's super quick. 
Mm. It's when she kills that boy out in the woods. It's the first one that we see her do. Mm. Mm. But yeah, it was totally pitched as like a sex horror mm-hmm. kind of comedy romp, clearly meant to be aimed at, you know, straight dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which, you know, was awful. I mean, you get why a marketing person thinks that way because she's fresh off of Transformers. Um, mm-hmm. the, in all of the media and the public world were already calling her like the next Angelina Jolie. She was this young soldier. Yeah, but you got to remember Angelina back, like what? I, I've always thought her to be overrated. That, um, that's fine, but I'm talking about how she was marketed. Uh-huh. Sure. That, that's what I mean. So they, that, you know, that's what publicists and marketing and, you know, and Hollywood in general saw in Megan Fox is this new kind of dangerous, kind of sexy person, you know, sexy person mm-hmm. that, you know, we can just, that's how we make our money off her is by her being sexy. And so this movie is pitched or is advertised as, yeah, like, you, you know, yeah, she's, yeah, she's going to probably end up killing people, but it's going to look real hot while she does it, you know, and so go see that. And that's not what the movie's about, like, right. at all. Nope. I mean, I, that's exactly why I never watched it in the first place. Is I was like, I don't like her acting. I think she's just dead, deadpan. Um, and it doesn't look like a particularly good horror film. You, you know me, I'm not, I don't get that excited about like dark comedy horror mm-hmm. films. Um, unless they're done really well. And th- that one was definitely just straight up sold as, sexy horror with that with that probably wasn't that good as as horror goes starring you know current hot chick of the year yeah and that's totally how it was how it was pitched Mm -hmm. Um, to to be fair this is it still feels like less of a horror movie and more of a um, a bit of a critique of horror movies yeah a, a lot of people seem to feel like this was uh, Diablo Cody's spoof mm-hmm. on, on, on the modern teen horror. Um, like the one thing I will say is that I actually, I take it back. Megan Fox's performance is actually, ha- it actually has nuance mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, aside from some, you know, some, some good makeup and effects choices, mm-hmm. um, you, you see the develop, not the development in her character, because I don't, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of that, but like she has created a personality and she leans into it. And, and then there's this whole demonic aspect that I think she, she performs really well. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, when I went back and revisited it, you know, with kind of like new eyes, because like I had, like when it came out, I just blew it off. Mm-hmm. Because I was of that, you know, similar opinion. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to watch a Megan Fox movie. I, you know, I was already kind of judging the person based on, I mean, really based on incredibly, like, you know, shallow tabloid interviews or news stories. And the only other time, the only pictures you ever saw or video you ever saw of um, Megan Fox was always, you know, suggestive posings. That's the only thing they ever used of her. So I was like, mm-hmm. well, fuck this. I don't care. I actually did like Diablo Cody as a writer. So that's why I was like, well, maybe it'll be good because I like Diablo Cody. But yeah, I was one of the critics. That I was like, this is, you know, I came out of the movie thinking like, it's trying to be this campy B movie and it sucks at it. But it wasn't until, you know, in the past couple of months, I was like, maybe I should revisit it where I'm like, oh, it's, 
it's not trying to be a campy B horror movie. It's playing with some of those tropes, but this is kind of like a revenge flick. Yeah. Of someone trying to reclaim their agency actually after it was taken from them. Mm-hmm. And about like some of the dangers that happens. Um, I mean, I can only speak to it as seeing it from the outside, but um, of like, I guess like jealousy I don't know how to phrase it, but like of of women like not getting each other's backs and how they're actually like how the patriarchy kind of gets women to compete against each other for something mm-hmm. that they really shouldn't be competing against each other for. Mm-hmm. And I see that in, in Needy and Jennifer, this very adversarial friendship. Whereas if they had not, if that type of world didn't exist, um, things would have gone better. I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. wording it. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned, uh, or maybe it was Cable, earlier uh, in the discussion, that there's a, almost like a little bit of a hero worship between Needy and Jennifer. Mm-hmm. But, um, and while that is true sometimes, what I what I see more and more as the movie goes on is that it's it's two women who have two different perspectives on how they, like, how they see the world and how they want to exist in it. Um, mm-hmm. And they both think they're right and that the other one is wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that I thought was um, unexpectedly, like, a, like it, I didn't expect it and it was kind of nice to see is uh, there's a scene about halfway through the movie where one of the goth kids or emo kids, I guess, uh, it's 2009, so you must be emo, uh, asks Jennifer out. And right off the bat, you know, he's nervous because he's, you know, asking out the hot chick or whatever. And she cuts him off by saying, let me guess, you're trying to ask me out. So right up until that point, it's pretty cliche. But then he's like, okay, yes, I am. And here I go. Uh, and he, he, you know, he premises or he, he prefaces it by pointing out like, hey, we've had these really good interactions lately. It seems like we've got some chemistry. He has specific plans for a date, something he thinks they both might enjoy based on the conversations they've been having. And when she gives what like seems like the, a ditzy response, but it might just be her being kind of bitchy, he's like, cool, you, this is not your thing, or you don't, you know, or you're being shitty, whatever. He's like, okay, bye, and walks away. Right. And that's that's I don't think I've ever seen an interaction like that in a in a movie. Not about teens anyway. Yeah, no. I mean that would usually then be the teen movie where then the the emo kid devises all these ways to actually convince her and pressure her to go out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's how that movie that's how that movie would have normally played out. Or somewhere. he gets ridiculed for having tried at all. Yes, also that or that, yeah. Which then makes it every John Hughes movie ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like this movie, if it, I almost feel like this movie should have some kind of re-release. I feel like it would do, it would, I think it would be received much better now. Mm-hmm. It definitely, like, it's definitely not like a, a slasher or a monster movie. It falls more under, like, even though there's, it's a monstrous thing, it fa- definitely falls in the category of body horror, which I'm enjoying more and more. I, again, that, that's like kind of, 
David Cronenberg's original Rabbit, or, or like the aforementioned Ginger Snaps, or yeah, Ginger Snaps is a werewolf movie, but it's also about transformation, right? And and uh, Body Horse just ooky, <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, but man, I can't. What's interesting is that this movie, like unlike most female-led body horror movies doesn't necessarily have a a lot of allusions to you know becoming a woman or or any Mm -hmm. of that stuff it it doesn't try to get preachy at all no and i i think um uh, sorry talking about the tropes that it that it plays with and then tilts um, the the culmination of the the emo kid going out on a date with Jennifer, how that date goes versus uh, an intimate evening that uh, Needy and her boyfriend Chip have are right. superimposed on one another, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, that this is the scene with Jennifer is like this is very much how we are fed all of these scenes with teenagers uh, having sexy time versus the scene with needy and chip where it's like oh yeah nope i remember that from when i was however old <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and, and if and and that's where um some of the best but maybe some of the most poignant lines um she doesn't really say a lot to any of her victims jennifer throughout the course of the movie but when she comes after the the emo kid uh, you know, and he's trying to get away. She says, I need you scared. I need you hopeless. And mm-hmm. this is also the part in the movie where they really hammer in the, the bond between needy and Jennifer, mm-hmm. because, uh, she is really, really experiencing what's happening with Jennifer while she's also having what we assume is her, you know, first time with chip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They definitely imply that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what? I, I thought it was funny that she was kind of freaking out for a good while without him having any clue and then all of a sudden he's like oh, are you okay am I hurting you I'm too big aren't I <laughs> like suddenly very pleased with himself <laughs> like those are the like that's the bit of awkward dialogue that I was talking about that Diablo <laughs> Cody writes for teenagers where it's like oh god ugh, ugh. <laughs> like, here I think I like I'm 30 almost 40 years away from that and yet <laughs> it's still like oh oh nope I do remember that back you in do the remember this of my lizard oh. brain they're they're all the stupid things i've ever said as a teenager (laughs) here they come you're never really free from your teen angst no no you're not Uh, depending on what music i'm listening to on any given day (laughs) you're absolutely right (laughs) oh yes and i'm trying to think in 2009 I'm not going to try to do math right now, but yeah. um, <laughs> I, re- I recognized almost every band in in that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Like, oh, off man. the bat, like, three chords, and I'm like, oh, that's that band. Oh, I think that's that band. Yes, it is. Or, oh, close. <laughs> oh, wow. Now I'm going to look up. Go ahead. Keep going, though. 
Um, <laughs> no, that was it. Like one time, I was like, "Oh, I think this is a this is a real big fish cover." No, it was a screaming weasels, but that's close enough. <laughs> oh yeah, we got some dashboard confessionals, some Cobra Starship. <laughs> yes, Cobra Starship. That is nothing the more two thousand nine. Oh shit, the Swords got a song in it though. That's kind of cool. Oh, I don't know them. Uh, they're pretty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I keep going back on this, but I think this, I think people should give this movie another chance. Mm-hmm. I do too. Um, I, I think it fits well in the body horror catalog. Um, yeah. And wipe out any, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Let's say just, just wipe out any memory you remember of how it was pitched. I, I actually would recommend don't. I think that, um, Especially, especially men who are going to go revisit this movie, be very cognizant of what your your thoughts oh. were when this movie came out, and then watch it and think. Think about what you've done. Well, not think it. Sort of like think about the fact that how much of institutionalized patriarchy did you give into when it came out and. How much are you still putting on it now? And what, what can you do to work against that? Like I, I, I did. Like I, I never saw this movie when it came out because I went, eh, it's a fucking Megan Fox movie. And she's just doing everything for attention as opposed right. to actually looking at it going, no, 100%. This is how she is being sold to us so that it, we are being told to react this way, especially mm-hmm. men. Um, and again, we're supposed to look at her as a commodity. Like we keep saying how she's being sold to us because she's a commodity to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Institutionalized patriarchy is the exact reason this movie didn't do well or was, was panned. This mm-hmm. is a movie written and created by women starring women. Um, you know, I, I don't think it teaches a lesson necessarily, uh, which is, common i feel but it's it's a fun movie it's it's quality you know humorous horror body horror right but you have to yeah i think it does make a few points that are similar to the points made in things like mean girls where it's like maybe stop doing this to ourselves Mm. (laughs) yeah maybe we we should not be the monsters that other people make us into Literally, in some people's cases, I think one of the things that gets undercut in the in the story is, or I think maybe they could have spent more time on this, although the movie is long enough. Um, so they they do a really good job of visually showing the the highs and lows of Jennifer's feeding cycle. Mm-hmm. Like you you see it happening even before they talk about it. There's like that day that she just looks like shit in class. Um, I think her a direct quote was, I, this is what normal girls feel like mm-hmm. uh, versus once she's eaten. Um, she feels really, really good, but she also just looks, you know, she looks like an Instagram model compared to the opposite uh, parts of the cycle. And the, um, that's something that they could have played up a little bit more is like, is she doing it because she's hungry or because it makes her look and feel good? Yes. Right. Both. I think that was that was definitely it's both. And as Needy's research turned up, it's like she has to or she's going to die. 
Right. But that um, doesn't, the bit, like, that's just like something that she researches and it doesn't really become a big part of the story. Mm-mm. So they should have just gone ahead and like leaned in a little bit more on the fact that she does it because it makes her feel good and look good. And, and then, that, and then, then it just adds a little bit of that feminist touch, I think. That's I, definitely the, the side benefit to it. Um, I think her butt, like, her on-screen body count is only four people. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah. Four exchange students. Yeah. Football Wait, player. do they show the exchange in, students? In, when she's explaining to Needy what happened to her. Right, because she stumbles that, upon him afterwards. He wasn't dead. Right, and she lures him off into the forest. He's but not does she kill him on screen? She doesn't kill him on screen, but it okay. is implied that he, he is her first. Mm-hmm. He's her first victim. That's how she heals herself. Um, and then the football player, then the, um, emo kid, and then finally Chip. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even get to finish eating Chip, which is why she was able to get killed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I like the fact too that there was not a complex, this is how I'm going to do this. This is, I, I, Needy did not have a complex plan in doing this, nor did she show any forethought to what was going to happen afterwards. It was, I have to stop this. Like, she breaks into her house, kills her. Her mother is home. Like Jennifer, no one else in Jennifer's circle is aware that this is going on. So mm-hmm. it just looks like Needy broke into the house and killed her. And as far as we know, the narrative was probably sold that she also killed Chip. Yeah, right, probably. Yeah. It's like, oh, she just went crazy one day. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that they, if they had not circled back to resolving things with the band this movie would have had it would have felt a little more empty yeah i don't know if empty is the word i would use i would say like not as satisfying to the general audience Uh, we would have felt empty (laughs) um you know i i kind of like those less than you know, quote unquote, happy endings. As happy an ending as you can get in a horror film, of course. But sure. I would not have been upset if the movie ended with her just being in the prison, or if they'd ended it with her getting out, but leaving mm-hmm. it at that and not actually revealing the the fact that that she comes after and and gets the band. Um, of course, it's in the post credit, so it's not like or in the but, credits, I should say. Yeah, it is the credits. It, I think that would have been true if they had not brought the band back in for the rest of the film. But like you said, they're an under, um, they're a B or C plot to mm-hmm. the background of the movie the entire time. So they are still present mm-hmm. throughout that's, the film. That's true. Without those final cutscenes or stills uh, mm-hmm. indicating that she destroys the band. Then it also make then it becomes too much that the band had continued as part of the story at all. Yeah, so, because yeah, it would have been an all or nothing. It, it would have been that they got away with exactly what they wanted because mm-hmm. they made it. They made a sacrifice. They got their deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. 
and mm-hmm. other people were hurt in the process. That's not feminist. You're right. Um, also, I just wanted to point out, maybe you guys have other other favorites, but my my personal favorite part of the movie was the makeup scene right before the the formal dance. And she's just like smearing the makeup on her face because she's looking so haggard from lack of eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, you know, and then you see her at the formal in her, I, I guess it's prom. I don't think they called it prom. Spring formal. Spring formal. Spring formal. Yeah. Anyway, she arrives at the dance in this big, floofy white and black dress. And so like the, the big fluffiness of it gives it this very like bridal sort of virginal aesthetic, but also it gave me some really great bride of Frankenstein vibes. And mm-hmm. just, totally did. I, I just really enjoyed that look. Yeah. No, I was right there on that one too. <laughs> right on. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I just realized also that um, this is one of Jason Reitman's first films he ever produced. Um, he's apparently been buddies with Diablo Cody for a while now. Huh. And they kind of have similar senses of what they like in horror movies. Um, I guess he's the one that did a pretty big push with uh, Fox Searchlight to get the movie made. Just kind of interesting. It's good. You always hear you always hear nice stuff about Jason Reitman, so I'm glad that that seems to be the continuing trend. <laughs> Very so. well. Yeah, that was odd. Sorry. That's just a little side note there. <laughs> what is this? Whose new movie about a, an eco-mercenary taking down rhino butchers? Is this a Megan Fox movie? Wait, what are you looking at? Oh, in the chat. The chat. Has anyone seen her new movie about her as an eco-mercenary taking down rhino poachers in Africa? But then the movie takes a turn and becomes about enhanced lions that have a taste for man meat. What? What the? Don't call, it, don't call it man meat. If you're gonna call it something like that, at least do it how they do in Lord of the Rings and call it man fresh. There you go. Yeah, marginally better. Yeah. Yeah, Norm, I, ass- who- I assume he meets Megan Fox. Who is the her that you're talking about, Norm? Please clarify. Thank you. Rogue. I'm looking at it right now. It's 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 Megan Fox. I'm assuming. Oh. And it's called Rogue. I have actually seen like this poster or this image on like Netflix or something. Very well. She plays Samantha O'Hara and her team of multinational mercenaries. Ugh. And see, this just looks like another fucking what's-his-name movie. Michael Bay? Yep. (laughs) Uh, Well, no, that doesn't I'm going to try not to be so quick to judge, because at this point, I... It's altogether possible that the reason I used to hate Megan Fox was just Michael, Michael Bay's fault. Yeah, well, he doesn't help. That's for sure. He does not. I, I'm going to blame him. Yeah. I still blame him for crappy Transformers movies. Yes. It was not until we got Bumblebee that we got a good one. And I blame him for the poor, for poor performance of Bumblebee at the at the theaters. Because oh, did everyone it not do went, No, it did not. Because people are like, oh, it's just another Michael Bay movie. And we're like, no, it's not. Mm. You need yeah. to go watch this. And, I believe the, that's why I didn't watch it. I was like, I've had enough. It is actually so good. It, <laughs> it also has a two-minute fight scene on Cybertron that is better than all of the other Transformer movies put together. 
because it's actually Optimus Prime the way Opti- we've all wanted Optimus Prime to look on on screen. Yeah, just it's a, it's murdering. just a chef's kiss. Yeah, he's yeah. M- straight up gladiator style murdering Decepticons. It is <laughs> glorious. He grabs one by the head and is dangling in front of him, just taking all the fire and then slams him to the ground and stabs him and like drop kicks another plane out of the sky. It's amazing. Damn. And it's like, what, why was this not the entirety of every Transformers movie that came out? Yeah. They all seem to forget that we like Transformers, not the humans that hung out with Transformers. No. (laughs) Except with Bumblebee, which is basically ET, but with a transforming robot. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's pretty great. Um, Transformers is great. Or Bumblebee is great. Uh, Haley Stanfield is fantastic. Uh, yeah. It, like, it's definitely. I'm excited to see her uh, in uh, Hawkeye. Yeah. I, I think uh, the one thing that uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about has done is made me excited for pretty much everything that Disney Plus is going to be doing with the MCU on their channel. Oof. Yeah, we can ease into that here in just a minute. Um, actually, we—I mean, those Anyone are kind of our thoughts, thoughts, right? Yeah, I mean, it—it it, it should be rewatched, like revisit it. Uh, I think yep. it's—I think it's not available for streaming anywhere. You have to rent or buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, worthwhile three ninety nine to rent. Yeah, 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 totally rent it. Yeah, it's—it's it's definitely fun and worth revisiting. Um, yeah, it did for make sure. me want to rewatch Ginger Snaps immediately. So <laughs> I love that movie so much, and the third mm-hmm. one. Because that one's good. It's weird. It is. It's a period piece. <laughs> yeah, but with the same characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, God damn it. I'm all yes, thinking Bex. of Bumblebee now. <laughs> Bex, definitely watch Bumblebee. You will enjoy it. I guarantee it. Oh, yes. Watch Bumblebee. And it has the single best line from any Transformers cartoon, animated, or movie when John Cena's like, why are you listening to them? Why they're lying? Like even they're called the Decepticons. Have none of you realized that yet? <laughs> it's, like, it's in their name. Oh, it's right we're, there. we're not actually going to do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're called Decepticons. <laughs> we can't trust them. Yeah, I think one of the animated ones actually had a narration like that too. <laughs> well, not like that, but like I always remember laughing when I'd hear like the voiceover of Optimus, you know. We were betrayed and lied to by our friends, the Decepticons. Like, eh, maybe they should have been called that at the very beginning. The maybe, maybe they should have given themselves that name after they, like, you know, deceived Cybertron. We are now mm-hmm. Decepticons. Like, oh, okay. Didn't see that coming. <sighs> oh, yeah, they should, have a, they should have had an epic name change. Right. Like Fallen Angels. Yeah. Uh, should we move into WandaVision? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with this one uh the family ties opening yeah you guys uh, as always not- uh there's this is not spoiler free so if you haven't seen all, episode all spoilers five, all the time yeah mm-hmm. we don't ever claim to do this spoiler free mm-hmm. um so yeah episode five of wandavision a lot happens i i would like to congratulate the internet as we start this I started seeing people talk about this at 5 a.m. And at no point did anyone spoil anything. It was amazing. For an entire weekend, 
Yeah. Nobody. I saw some stuff that was like just the tip of spoilers, but. Most of my feed was all okay. It's like, right. Like, if you haven't watched WandaVision, go watch it right now. If you haven't mm. watched any of WandaVision, go watch all of it right now. <laughs> that was it. It was amazing. This is a great spot to uh, take a little break here and talk about our sponsors. First up is Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. They are, of course, open for indoor shopping, but like everywhere else, you better be wearing a mask when you're in there. I mean, heroes wear masks. Don't you want to be a hero? Yes, you do. And then read about all your heroes at Bridge City Comics. They have all the superhero books you could ever look for. If they are still in print and not on the shelf, Bridge City Comics can get it for you. But you know what? If superhero books aren't your jam, I would actually argue that some of the best books coming out these days are not cape and cowl books, but they are crime stories and comedies and, and mysteries and everything in between. Bridge City Comics is going to have what you are looking for. If a comic sounds kind of interesting, like you read an article about something coming out and you're like, that does sound kind of cool, but I've never gotten into comics. What do I do? You can go to Bridge City Comics, you can set up a subscription box, and you can ask them to include that title you just learned about uh, from whatever, and that way you you don't miss it. And before you know it, you too will start to have two, three, four, thirty monthly titles that show up in your subscription box. Uh, just remember to try to pick it up at least once a month because they pay for that stuff. Uh, but yeah, everything you could ever want um, within the fun world of, of four-color action and adventure can be had at Bridge City Comics. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. And when you're there, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. Just like our next sponsor, our longest sponsor, Guardian Games. Uh, looking at their stuff, they just got in a whole new selection of board games that just came in. There's an expansion to Gloomhaven. There's this cool game called Unmatched. I have one of the sets where it pits like two characters in pop culture and... It basically, that thing you do with your friends late at night, especially after a few beers when you're like, who would win? Um, Bruce Lee's character, Enter the Dragon, versus Bigfoot. <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous. That's what Unmatch is all about. So it's a pretty fun way to spend the time playing those games. Uh, if you're into Warhammer, they got in a huge new selection of Warhammer. Basically what I'm saying is that if it is a game of any kind, Guardian Games is going to have it. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. If they can't do that, that means that game doesn't exist and it's in your head. And you either need to create that game or, no, yeah, no, create the game. Then play test it at Guardian Games once there's in-store gaming again. So they have all that good stuff. Don't forget they also have that great selection of puzzles, especially since we all might get snowed in. Doom! At least Portland, folks. For those of you who don't live in Portland, trust me, it's a whole big deal. Uh, they have everything that you need to make sure that you enjoy a potential 2021 snow apocalypse at Guardian Games. And when you're there, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. It really means a lot and goes a long way. And then finally, before we get back to it, another, as always, shout out to Rev Nat, uh, Reverend Nat's Hard Cider, for hooking us up with some equipment that allows this show to sound uh, to sound this good, even though we are all in different parts of the city in our individual bunkers, staying away from viruses and whatnot. So big thanks to Rev Nat, the, uh, the audio helper for Geek in the City Radio, and uh, the official liquid enjoyment of the apocalypse. <laughs> Let's get back to the show. So, so good job, Internet. We've, we've well learned done. from season two of The Mandalorian, apparently. <laughs> so right, you guys want the recap? Yeah, do the quick recap. Yeah. 
All right. So WandaVision episode five titled on a very special episode. This is obviously the eighties themed, uh, very heavily relying on the family ties concept to include the cheesy 80s style family sitcom intro that's nothing but like nostalgic photographs and beautiful watercolor portrait of the family, all smiling mm-hmm. and happy. Uh, starts with, um, Wanda and Vision trying to handle their babies, but babies are babies and they won't stop crying. Agnes shows up in her sweet jazzercise getup. Um, <laughs> And while she's interacting with Wanda and Vision and sort of wanting to help out with the babies, she basically, she biffs the line and then immediately looks at Wanda and asks, do you want me to do that take again? And it's this really weird, awkward moment that I'm sure we're going to spend some time talking about. Um, Let's see if I can keep these separated with what's going on inside Westview and what's going on outside Westview. Um, On the inside, the... um, Okay, so the babies are twins, and then at one point, they suddenly age up to about five years old. Agnes yeah. is there when that happens. Not a peep. This is this is after that sort of, like, take it again moment, so we we know something's going on with her at this point. Um, a little bit further down the road, the five-year-old twins have found and are giving a sink bath to a puppy, and they want to keep them. Wanda and Vision are kind of reluctant, and while they're talking about it, Agnes breezes into their kitchen with a big old doghouse and other dog supplies. Uh, during this scene, Wanda uses her magic while Agnes is in the room. She had her back turned, essentially, but but she did it. While, while Agnes was in the room, Vision is like, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, then we go back to the puppy conversation after they argue about that privately. Um and they decide to say that the boys shouldn't have a dog until they're at least 10 years old. The boys look at each other, age up to 10. <laughs> now, um, a little bit later, Vision is off at work, which apparently is weird, or which is weird because it's apparently the weekend. And so then you have one of those touching 80s moments about how, you know, we're all family and we're always going to be family and we're always going to love each other, even when we're not in agreement with one another. Right. A little bit later, the boys are looking for their puppy. It's gotten out of the house. No, back up. <laughs> um, that scene is cut off. The The special moment uh, scene is cut off because the dog starts uh, freaking out about something that's outside the house. Uh, and it's apparently a, um, a 1980s sword drone flying over the town trying to kind of get an eye on what's going on right now. Um, this is, I mean, this was a bad idea to start to separate these two timelines. <laughs> Outside of Westview, uh, all the different agents are trying to still working out what's going on. Um, what's his face. Who's kind of the guy in charge, I guess, is referring to Wanda as a terrorist. Um, because she's got this whole town under control. Maxine disagrees because, according to her, Wanda does not have any sort of political agenda. But at this point, we learn that Wanda... Monica. Who's Maxine? I don't don't know. know. (laughs) Okay, cool. Oh, I got it right later. Um, (laughs) At this point, we learn that uh, it is revealed to everyone, including us, that... Nine days ago, Wanda broke into a sword facility and stole Vision's body. 
And now I guess uh, for the viewer, it's confirmed that he's not a construct. He has, it's his real body, or at least it probably is, that she has somehow reanimated. By the way, this goes against his living will that he did not want to be reactivated and potentially used as a weapon against anybody else. Right. Um, well, we'll get into that. Go Monica, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying, well, get through the recap, then we'll... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monica comes up with the idea of a high-tech mobile bunker and says that she knows an aerospace engineer who might be down for the project. So I guess there's a lot of speculation about who that might be within the Marvel Universe. Uh, also, thanks to Dr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're calling it the hex now. She says it's because of the hexagonal shapes of the invisible structure around the town, but also hexes, witches. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Well, even in the comics, they, she calls it, they call it her powers are hexing. Like that's what Scarlet Witch does. Yep. That's Perfect. hex yeah. magic. Yep. Fantastic. So it makes sense on multiple levels. Yes. Um, we also learned that the, it occurs to everyone at the all of the you know different secret bureaus that when Monica had been ejected from the 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 hex, she was in the period clothes that she'd been wearing at the time. Those clothes are currently bulletproof, and so now what they know is when you go in, you get sort of your things get converted to fit the the era of the the little mini universe that she's got everyone under. So her regular clothes and bulletproof vest became period-appropriate clothes, but stayed bulletproof. And when she came out, the the clothes stayed period-appropriate and bulletproof. So that's giving them some ideas. Right. Uh, That's how they decide to send in a drone that is built using 80s technology. And that way it can't get changed when it crosses the barrier. Unlike the previous helicopter tr- uh, drone that turned into a helicopter toy. Yes. Yeah. So nothing gets retroed, in, the, or in theory, their stuff won't get retroed or diminished when, but when they go through the barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also the point where Wanda comes out of the hex force field in front of all of these different, or like right outside their little base camp that they've got going on. They've just got like, 50 guns on her, but she manages to really kind of control this showdown about, like, you guys need to leave me alone. Um, This is none of your business. Um, You know, the usual kind of stuff. Right. And and then in the latter portion of the episode, the twins have lost their new dog, and they find Agnes, like, right as she was about to come to them and say, hey, I found your dog in my bushes. I think he got poisoned himself with my azaleas. Um, I'm like bundled up in a blanket. A lot of speculation there about how convenient Agnes's presence and appearances are. Yeah. Um, also at this point you see the mailman again, which keeps coming up. And so there's definitely a lot of questions about like, who is this mailman and why do we keep seeing him if he's not, relevant to the to the you know the show within the show um anyway the dog is dead the the boys are upset and they're about to age up again so that they can skip over this period of grief but wanda pops them out of it by explaining like look we can't reverse death no matter how sad it makes us 
which is very hypocritical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, another one of those like touching moments that are so classic from the eighties and nineties, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, last little bit of the episode, Wanda and Vision are arguing. He has started uncovering a little bit about what's going on. He knows that people around him are being controlled. He has noticed that there's no other children in the town of Westview. Um, And he says that the people are suffering because of what she's doing. Meanwhile, Wanda denies that she even has the power to do what he says she's doing and controlling an entire town's worth of people. And at this point, uh, or they start arguing, it starts to calm down a little bit, but then they're interrupted uh, by the doorbell ringing yet again. Uh, And this time it is Pietro, Wanda's brother. However, uh, it, it is not the actor Aaron Taylor Johnson of the MCU. It is Evan Peters, the actor of uh, X-Men, Quicksilver. Yeah. Casting. The, the better Quicksilver. <laughs> if you <laughs> the say The one so. who's actually faster. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess that one's not dead, and the MCU also one that. is. So <laughs> right. At least I guess not dead. I couldn't tell you. Um, oh, he dead. dead. And Wait. I missed this. The... Oh. Evan I, Peters is Quicksilver isn't dead, but yes, the other. Right, exactly. He hella, he hella dead. <laughs> yep. Uh, I missed this, but I picked it up somewhere else. Um, apparently, uh, Darcy says that uh, she recast Pietro. So she does, they, yeah. Out, okay, I totally missed that, but it, it establishes that outside of the hex, people recognize that it's that's not really her brother. Right. Except that Darcy recognized him still as being Pietro. Well, they say it. They should, well, the first thing uh, the first thing Wanda says after she opens the door is mm-hmm. Pietro, because she's shocked to see him. I guess. Um, I guess I don't remember exactly yeah, where she Darcy's line is before or after. Um, but uh, that particular moment, which I guess was supposed to be really exciting for everyone. I didn't pick up on it because I don't watch X-Men movies anymore. Um, But that opens the door to the multiverse within the MCU. Yeah. So I I have many thoughts. Mm -hmm. Very well. Um, And a lot of them, I'm just going to be like jumping around. First, did either of you notice Monica Rambeau's reaction when someone mentions Captain Marvel really quickly? Yeah, yeah that's, that's 100%. She has a serious issue with Carol Danvers, and they haven't said what it is yet. Gonna assume it has to do with her mom. Yep. So, yeah, Monica is not a fan of Captain Marvel, at least from that quick expression you see. So let's, uh, let's take a guess at when the last time Monica Rambeau saw Carol Danvers. I mean, I would guess... Carol hasn't been back until she was called back. In Endgame. In Endgame. Right. Or no, in uh, Infinity War. Well. Infinity War is when she was paged. Oh, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. Endgame is when she shows up. Right. Yeah. Um. So she's, and she left in 90 something. Yeah, 93. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So that's 15, like she missed 15 years of Monica's life. Right. And how old is Monica now? Uh, in her 20s? At least she's 
13 in Captain Marvel, right? Yeah. Which, Which was takes, 1990? 1993. Um, uh, 1995, because okay. Stan Lee is reading the script to Mallrats. Oh, right. <laughs> so it's 95. <laughs> All right, and we can assume that this is happening in 2020, right? No. No? No, because... this is happening three weeks after the blip. So, Okay. Infinity War happened in 2018, and Endgame happened five years in, later. Yeah, in 2023. Okay, so 2023 minus 1995 is 28 years time. And she was how? And uh, Monica was how old in that? In I think uh, I'm Captain assuming Marvel? like 13. Yeah. Really? She was way younger than that. 13. She was between 10 to 13 years old. She was right, a child. So- so that would make her almost 40, uh, in her 40s, or almost 40. If you add 13, yeah. that's 41. Minus five years, because she was blipped. Oh, if you don't age? Cool, yeah, yeah. now she's 36 tops. Yep. That, yeah, that tracks, especially for her, what her position was and what her job was before she blipped out. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, so yeah, she's angry at Marvel for something, even if it's just never coming back. And it's been just enough time that Carol would have visited or at least may have tried to contact Monica. Maybe. Yeah. Because presumably Carol was probably there when Maria died. Right. Yeah. Wait, say that again. So we know that Maria was in the hospital getting surgery when uh, Monica blipped out. Mm-hmm. And then two years after that was when uh, Maria died, but Captain Marvel had come back to the planet by then. Ah, okay. But Monica wouldn't have known that because she was, she was blipped out of existence. Right. So, so she, <laughs> yeah. Carol and Mar- Maria may have mended all of their fences and figured out their life, but Monica won't know any of this. Right. Gotcha. So Monica is still mad that she missed her mother's death and she's hasn't seen Captain Marvel for half of her life. Right. Mm-hmm. So she has, um, she has reasons to be pissed at Carol, but man, that was, that, that look was, was a like, look. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think other stuff. I, I actually believe uh, Wanda, when she says that she's not, when, you know, when Vision says, how come there are no kids? How, and when she says, you think I'm controlling the mailman, right? Like, I can't do that. I think she actually is and doesn't realize that she is. I think what's starting to be revealed is that when Wanda began to create her own reality, that's the initial break of, like, the parallel worlds. That's, I think that's where the break actually happens. Mm-hmm. Because... The Wanda from the MCU could not create reality. She was strong, but she couldn't do what we know Wanda can do in the comics. The mutant Wanda. Mm -hmm. I think she's kind of merging both worlds now. Um, So she actually probably is doing all this, and she hasn't even fathomed how strong she's become. Um, And I had a few things that made me think that. A... You know, it's a new Pietro. 
which makes me think we're still not done with the cameos. Um, oh no! I think we're either, I think we're going to get either Magneto or Xavier. And judging by this Pietro, it's either going to be it's going to be the younger version. So it's um, you know what I mean, McAvoy, Fassbender, yeah, Fassbender or McAvoy, yeah. It's mm-hmm. not going to be McKellen or Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Unless they just decide to fucking merge everything and be like, we're going to, because now they do get to kind of handpick the same way Disney handpicks, you know, old Star Wars EU characters and like, I'll get the boop, we're going to put them in there. So maybe, who knows? Um, The other thing that makes me think that is she is acting um, not a lot like a Maximoff, but like a Lencher. Um, When she does that shit outside with those guards, that's a straight up Magneto moment. Mm hmm. like that, like, oh, look, there's your dad, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think all of these, I think she's already created this weird mesh. I think that's why Doctor Strange isn't there to help out because he's doing damage control in the multiverse of madness. Um, which makes me think that the uh, Kat Dennings character, when she says, I know an astrophysicist, there's a part of me that thinks that she's talking about Reed Richards. Oh, so you just think they're just going to bring everybody? I mean, we know we're going to get a Fantastic Four movie. We're going to get new X-Men movies. I think they're just going to be like, this is how we do it. And Disney owns all of it now. Yeah. Right. Like, they have the rights to do it all. Um, I'm going to bring up a, a friend a friend from work, Justin. His theory uh, gets into Agnes. Oh, Agnes so, killed that dog, by the way. That was no Agnes. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Um, well, that's because uh, so the prevalent fan theory is that Agnes is actually a character named Agatha Harkness, who is from. Oh, shit. The, yeah, she. There's apparently a brooch that she wears that everyone's going. Wait a minute. Uh, she's a, a character from the '80s uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision comic. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of, she's one of the original witches of Salem. Yeah. And has all kinds of superpowers. Um, but she was there for the birth of, uh, the Wanda's twins. She's the one who wipes Wanda's memory too, right? About having kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the Justin's theory is that, um, not only is Agnes Agatha Harkness, but that wasn't Wanda that walked out of the hex to confront Sword. It was Agatha pretending to be Wanda. You think so? And that and that Agnes started the simulation that they're trapped in, but Wanda has surreptitiously taken it over but doesn't know it. Hmm. So Agnes is just doing damage control because she wants the kids. I've also seen theories that intimate that uh, Agnes is trying to force the kids to age up. Mm -hmm. Because they're also the only thing that Wanda can't affect. Her powers are, are, can't, they don't work against her kids. And that they are now technically the first mutants for the MCU because they were born with their powers. Right. Yeah. So. Um. I, I would like to, the thing that I noticed when she walked out of the thing, or when Wanda walked out of the hex is, I remember thinking this entire time, especially after I rewatched Age of Ultron, where I'm like, wait, Wanda had an accent. 
and she has it when she's outside the hex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was very clever. That mm-hmm. She doesn't have it at all in the TV universe that she's living in. But as soon as she stepped out, it's like, oh, no, there's there's the Markovian. Right. <laughs> or Sokovian. Sokovian, yeah. Um, I think it's pretty well established, too, that all the, 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 the husband and wife you see in every commercial is probably meant to be her parents. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's her dead parents are are the commercials. That would explain um, why this week's commercial was for Lagos brand paper towels. Yeah, Lagos yep. for when you make a mess you didn't mean to. Right. <laughs> that was Which, cold. That was very cold. I was like, damn. Um I I did want to turn back to the the conference that Sword has when they figure out it's it's Wanda, you know, after Monica is ejected and she's like it's Wanda, she's doing it all, and they mm-hmm. have that that strategy meeting. How very different in opinions, like the director of Sword is clearly very anti um, superhuman. Everything about his posturing, everything that he says, it's like, oh, oh, you're one of the people that voted for the Sokovia Accords. Oh, yeah, exactly. Whereas Jimmy is still treating this very much as a missing persons case. And that there are victims until it's proven that they aren't. Right. And have they ever said who Jimmy's looking for yet? He's only said a missing persons case. A missing person who was in Witsec. Right. Yeah. I think those two, they've still never said who he's looking for. It's just, they're looking for someone that was in the town and that it was someone in, um, in Witsec, which I can't witness, witness protection. So. Um, I'm also, I'm also convinced that, um, sword was not keeping, Vision's body in stasis. No, they were tearing him apart and looking to build more weapons. Yep. Mm. They were trying to Which weaponize Vision's body. Also goes it's, against his living will. Yes, it yes. does. It's it's in their name. Like yeah, they, yeah, because it's sentient weapons operations mm-hmm. research division observation. Yeah, but but it's that's not what the acronym for SARB is in the comics, right? So it, it's very specific to the show. Yeah. So yeah, it's um yeah, I'm I'm jazzed to see how much more it's going. It's it's starting to put pieces in, but without just mm-hmm. one here's the here's the mystery. Uh they're doing a really good job of kind of bringing it along and I think there's only 3 episodes left. It's not 10 What's episodes. Here? I think it's either I don't think there's 10. I think there's 8 um, or 9. It's 9. 9. Okay. So we got 4 in total. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, we are we are officially past the halfway point. Right. Um yeah, I think it's just gonna get I think it's just gonna get weirder and weirder. There is a lot of action in the early trailers, so shit's gonna start going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think next week is we're gonna get them in their actual like seventies and eighties comic forms. Yeah, that's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Um, I'll be curious to see what happens when Vision tries to push through the hex if his body just chunk. 
drops down. Right. Cause he's, he's legit scared now. Mm-hmm. He, he knows this is, he knows that Wanda is dangerous. He is now afraid of her. I, I think that, uh, getting to see Paul Bettany play the vision outside of makeup is one of my favorite things about WandaVision. Yeah. It's been nice. Like, and it feels like that he really enjoys being able to be the character and play the character and yet not have to go through hours and hours of makeup. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how could yeah. you not? <laughs> yep. Let's, uh, I, Merrick was remarking that there seems to be a trend now to seeing actors who do a lot of character acting or through makeup acting, like they did this with Doug right. Jones and discovery. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it's like the, we got two or three episodes where he's out of it and it's like, Oh, Oh yeah. You are just a good actor. <laughs> right. A really good actor. But also then you get stuck in costumes and you have to act through that. <laughs> Which proves how good of an actor they are. If you can, mm-hmm. emote. I mean, especially Doug Jones, that's a whole nother, we could go on and on about him for hours. I feel like so. Yeah, and probably have true. at one point or another. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we have. <laughs> it's it's definitely uh, I feel like well if less is more then think about how much more and more could be yeah exactly. um so yeah. predictions for next week's show what do you guys what are you thinking I, I don't know that I have any I just I, I like just going along for the ride and finding out what's going to happen um I 100% was not expecting the cameo of Quicksilver at all. No. So. And has he become a regular series or has he become like a guest star in, you know, is he going to start getting the also starring credit? That would be be great. It would be hilarious. It's Um, tough to say without knowing where they're trying to go with this. Yeah. And and that's just it is we still don't know. I'm confused by people who thought, Oh, the fourth episode ruined it. Now we know all the secrets. It's like, what show are you watching? We don't know anything. Carefully doling out something, a little bit of something every episode. I, you, that's foolish to think that then they just blew their load at the halfway point. Yeah, it's the the red herring, or is you know it's the tip of the iceberg. One of the two. Check off, check off, Quicksilver. Check off, dead brother. Um, <laughs> I. I, I am less and less able to speculate as weeks go by because uh, with every episode, they are incorporating more and more of the Marvel universe as a whole, not just the cinematic universe, but all of the content. Uh, mm-hmm. And now they're bringing in this Fox stuff, which I also don't have any like references to. So I'm <laughs> like, you could be going in like 80 directions uh, and I only know three of them anyway. So Right. <laughs> I think it's worth it to watch. Uh, it's not first class, but Days of Future Past, where they introduce mm. even Evan Peters' Quicksilver. Uh, Although first class is also very good. First class is all right. It I has might its have weak watched points. one of them. It has its weak points, but it's all right. It introduces you to all the characters. Um, Days <laughs> of Future ha- Past. Hmm? Does it have that great Logan scene? Is it the one where Hugh Jackman just has the cameo? Oh, yes. yeah, yes. that's yeah, first where, class. yeah. Xavier and Magneto both go in and like, we need to fuck off. And he just yep. goes back to drinking beer. <laughs> I did see that one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the, that was the judicious use of the word fuck in a PG 13 movie. Yep. <laughs> you only get one. Use it wisely. 
Yeah. They did. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like how mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. actors and actor and director uh, Stephen Ford is seriously trying to pitch a Disney Plus show just about Jimmy Woo working weird cases in the MCU. And I'm like, I'd watch that. I, like, I want to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd watch <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, or um, or Jimmy and Darcy. I don't think that uh, there is speculation that this show is not going to be the only show that we see Jimmy and Darcy in. Like right. they may be the Colsons for the rest of the. <laughs> I was going to say Nick Fury of the TV oh, shows, right. the Coulsons, but <laughs> yeah. no, the Colson is who kind of linked everybody. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, but you know, bring, bring them in for like, if, we have no idea what to, I, or I don't, I don't know what the Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be about. I know it's going to have Zemo and I know it's going to have uh, Sharon Rogers. Mm-hmm. That's about it. That's all I know. I don't know who those people are. Uh, Sharon Rogers is Peggy Carter's niece. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Sharon Carter. I, right. Okay, I was, I was skipping like, ahead. I was like, where did they squeeze another Rogers in there? Well, <laughs> they do because when he goes back, he ages normally and he's Oh, with, that's right. He stayed back there he when stays, he was young. He's old now. Yeah. So that could be his daughter. Oh, that would oh. be weird. Yes. It would be very weird. Um, know, just somewhere in my mind, I was like, my mind was set on, uh, they don't end, they never end up together. Right. right. No. Um, but, uh, and Zemo is the villain from Civil War that everyone forgets about. Cause it's like, no, it's about this and this. And like, no, no, that movie was Zemo putting all of those things into motion. Yeah. And everyone forgets that, sure, he got arrested. Zemo won. Yes, yes he, he got did. what he wanted. He yep. got the heroes to fight and not trust each other, and to have the whole world question the idea of superheroes. It, but he also lost in that T'Challa was the bigger man. Well, sure, and and didn't choose either of those directions, and instead brought him back to the authorities. Yes, and it's like, but, oh yeah, you're responsible for my dad's death. I'm going to take you in. I'm not mm. going to kill you on this mountainside where no one will ever find your body. Right. <laughs> but from Zemo's point, from Zemo's point of view, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he pulled won. off what he wanted. Yeah. He got what he wanted. Also, Chekhov's dead brother is the name of Norm's ska inspired Rod Stewart cover band. That's a perfect place to end the show. <laughs> Indeed. Right there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm jazzed for more WandaVision, obviously. And I'm jazzed for our guest next week, right? Yes, yes. next week. Um, we will be bringing back Keith Baker, uh, game designer extraordinaire, and, uh, and wearer of fedoras. And wearer of fedoras, uh, leather fedoras. Yeah, the only one who can get away with it. Yep. <laughs> um, is it a fedora? And hopefully also Jen Ellis, uh, his, partner in gaming and in life um they they form up together studios and they will be talking about their latest game uh adventure zone so based on the popular podcast yeah cool all right then well with that i'm aaron duran i'm bean arena and i'm cable hashitani 
We will talk to everybody next week. Bye.